I mentioned it just a minute ago that Bishop Wright and I last week were going, we, um, we, we uh, took a road trip to Syracuse, New York. Uh, Bishop was um, uh, teaching a, um, uh, or doing a, a, a conference up there. He asked me to go along with him to help him. And so uh, we went up last week to Syracuse and we tag team for the weekend and we did teaching together. And while I was teaching and Bishop and I were teaching together, the Lord really began to just continue to solidify some things in my spirit, my heart, just, you know, taking me back to some revelations he had already given me and just kind of giving me a fresh, uh, a fresh baptism of revelation uh, from stuff that he's been talking to me about for several years now. And this really goes back to 2017. If you've been on this journey with us at Antioch West for the last 20, uh, since 2017, we are not the same church we were uh, beginning of 2017. And that's not really COVID uh, related. Yes, COVID has, has, I would say, sped up the process for Antioch West. I don't think COVID changed us. I think it sped up the process. If you really want to be frank, be frank with you this morning, for those of you who think, well, COVID really messed us up. I can't speak for anybody else. I believe in Antioch West, we were headed this way. COVID just gave us the acceleration needed to get there faster. And so God had his plan and his timing. But again, we were discussing and we had time in the car. We shared more and then uh, just felt like uh, what Bishop had come. We were we were, we were just digging and, and we just talked for hours about the word and about uh, just some principles of the word and, and apostolic principles of, of the New Testament church. And then I just felt to have him share some of that with our leaders. We did a little leadership podcast and shared some of those principles as well. But I, I, I spent the last week sort of digging through myself again and, and putting these pieces together, letting the Lord just refresh me and, and, and just show me some things. And, and I believe uh, that today... That's what we're going to be doing, and 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 I'm going to throw a lot at you today, not purposefully. I'm not trying to just 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 inundate you with a bunch of uh, information, and that's why I said earlier, if you want to follow along intellectually, you're probably going to either get overwhelmed or bored. But if you would let the Spirit of the Lord talk to you today, I believe you'll receive what God is trying to say, and it will be very it will be it will be applicable to you. Um, where you are in your personal journey, but in your in the in the context of your uh, your um, connection to the body of Christ. Now, uh, I'm I'm going to be using quite a bit of notes today, just because I want to make sure that I stay within the vein God has given me. Um, because I don't want to I I I, um, I do like virtual for a lot of reasons. Number one is because virtually looking at this camera. Um, it, it kind of forces you to stay on track um, because if you're in a room and you're reading people's reaction and you're seeing eyeballs and you're seeing if someone's bored or filing their nails or, you know, if, I've, if you've preached long enough or taught long enough, you've seen it all from, you know, a variety of things people do while you're talking. And if you're not careful, that'd be very distracting. Um, and so you have a tendency to try to go after the ones that aren't listening to the detriment of the ones who are listening, which is a problem. But then on the other standpoint, you speak something, you say something, and you can really see it's ministering to someone and you can really feel it resonate. And if you're not careful, you want to just stay on that point because you know it's having fruit from it. But maybe God doesn't want you to stay on that point. He wants you to keep going. So one thing I like about doing virtual in a lot of ways, and it's been a it's been a definitely a, a learning process for the last two years especially, is to be able to sit there and look at the screen, look at this dot. I don't have anything on my screen that gives me any kind of feedback. Uh, I don't see the comments some of you may be posting. Um, uh, and I don't see any of that. I just see this black dot. And, and I don't even hear an amen. Every once in a while, uh, my wife, just to help me feel better, she'll give me an amen from behind the camera. But outside of that, I don't have that. And I say that's a good thing. I'm not, not complaining because it forces you to really focus on one thing. And that's what Jesus wants to say. Nothing more, nothing less. What do you want to say? And so today, I'm going to be using quite a bit of notes because I want to stay within the vein God has given me. And so I want, I want to, we're, going to, we're going to lay a little bit of a foundation and I'm going to uh, be using quite a bit of notes here in the beginning. Uh, so if you see my eyes diverting off the camera, I'm not distracted. I want to kind of stick with my notes here in the beginning. Um, and then as we get further into this, then we'll let the Lord just kind of... Uh, 
shape and lead where we are going to go uh, as he leads. But we live in a we live in a time when people um, go to a building on Sunday mornings and they attend an hour long or ninety minute service and they call themselves members of a church. Now, I'm going to say some things here in the beginning that I don't mean. I'm not saying these derogatory. I'm not pointing fingers at anybody. I'm not saying good, bad, right, wrong. I just want to lay out some facts, some known facts, some things that are just common to us. And then we're going to compare that with what the scripture says. And, and you know, I've, I'm, I'm trying to learn. Sometimes you don't have to point out what's wrong. Because if you point out what's right, it draws the line and it becomes clear what's wrong. And so many times we focus on trying to tell people what's wrong that we condemn them. But if we point out what's right, I believe that brings conviction. And um, so today I'm not trying to point out what's wrong, bad, bad, bad. I just want to point out some things because we're going to get into what the Bible says. And so I want you to see this comparison. But today, that, that's how we judge, are you a church member? You go to church for 60 minutes, 90 minutes, 80 minutes. I've seen churches, they have it tied, you know, they'll, they'll, they'll say, you have it eight, we're here for 88 minutes. I mean, they have it down to the moment. And again, that's their prerogative. That's what God wants them to do. Then, you know, have at it. But we've determined that that one time engagement um, a week is equal to being a part of the church or being a member of the church. And yes, you might be a member of the church to a technical degree, but we'll find out later being a member of a church in today's world and being a um, being a part of the body of Christ are not the exact are not the same thing. Now, what's amazing is that doesn't really sound shocking to us. If I said to you, most people just go to an hour, hour and a half Sunday, and they call themselves a member of the church, that, that, that's, that's sort of normal, really, in some ways. It's, 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 it's an expectation. In fact, if you ask people for more commitment, that's where you start really getting issues. So it's become sort of an expectation. That's what is expected, and therefore that's what people give, and that's what we've created. But... I want to kind of just speculate here for a moment, if I can. I don't want to be facetious, but let's just have some fun for a moment. Let's imagine Peter and Paul having a conversation that would happen today in today's world. Can you imagine Paul goes up to Peter and says, um, Hey, uh, Pete, where do you go to church at? Well, you know, I go down to wherever. Uh, Capernaum Christian, I don't know. That's a good church. Capernaum Christian. I go down there and man, they got dynamic music and it's they got a great kids program. And man, they got they, the, the pastor's a dynamic speaker. And Paul's like, oh wow, man, that's that's cool. You know, could could I could I check out your church next Sunday? Because you know, I'm just not getting anything out of my church anymore. And Peter responds, Well, yeah, that's cool, but you know, Hannah and I uh um I just figure I don't know what Peter's wife's name. I picked Hannah because Hannah means grace, and Peter needed a lot of grace. So Pete and Hannah sounds like a good combination. Peter says that you know, well, Hannah and I we won't be there next week because uh, little Jacob has a baseball game, and then um, then the week after that we're going to be taking a, a a holiday down to Jerusalem to see some family, and, and then the week after that I've got a fishing uh, conference I've got to go to. Uh, you know, it's a it's a fishing fishing expo that I need to go to. But then the week after that, sure, join with us. Sounds good. Let's do it. And Paul says, "Oh, by the way, hey, do you they have a singles group? You know, I'm, uh, I'm um, it's a long story, but do they have a singles group? Now, this is a a normal conversation that would happen in today's world, where people compare." What one church has to offer. Well, this my church does this, and your church does this, and my church does this better. Well, I don't like the way my church does this. But could we imagine Peter and Paul having this conversation? Again, I'm not pointing fingers at it. I, I'm trying to understand. I'm trying to get you to see where we've gotten to based off how the early church operated. I can't see Peter and Paul having this conversation. And then we hear terms like church should be like a family. And I got to be honest with you, it seems like a nice cliche that church should be like a family. But let's be frank, our families are our families and church is our church. 
And does God really expect us to be that close to people that, uh, that we're not even related to? People we wouldn't choose to be friends with in a normal situation. And I got to be honest with you, does he really expect us to be close to people that we, that we might not even like or may not have the color skin that we have or may not have the economic background we have or the educational background we have? They may not look like us. Does God expect that? You know, because I know God wants us to be family, but, you know, come on. I mean, was it, uh, uh, what, what, who was the group? Sister Sledge has said, we are family. Let's just pretend like we're family. I mean, come on, we're family. I'll see you Sunday. We'll, we'll high five and I'll, I'll shake your hand as I'm coming in and I'll wave to you as I get out. And we're family. But it's, Sort of natural to be close to your, if you're natural, it's, it sort of feels expected to be close to your natural family, but it feels unnatural to, to expect this from a spiritual context, especially people that are not like you. But that's the point that Jesus is trying to make. We're going to get to it, is that it's not supposed to be natural, it's supposed to be supernatural. This idea that we as a body are supposed to be a family does not come through programs. It does not come through facilitations. It does not come because we get in a circle, we hold hands and we sing Kumbaya. It doesn't come because we all just decide one day, hey, let's try this. Not by might, not by power, but by my spirit. This is a supernatural thing that is done in the spirit. Now let's look at some scripture here for a moment. John 13, I've read this a hundred times. I'm going to read it again. John 13, verse 34, Jesus says this, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You are also to love one another. Now that's a big, big clause in the contract. As I loved you, you should love one another. We're going to get to it later on where this same writer, John, says in the epistle, if you say you love me but you don't love your brother, it don't work that way. And Jesus is already laying this foundation. Just as I've loved you, you should love one another. By this. Now, by what? By what? By the way we look. By the way we dress. By the way we worship. By the way we, 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 we act. By the way. No, no. By what? By this shall all men know you're my disciples. How are people going to know if we're truly the disciples of Jesus Christ? How are they going to know? It's because we have a dynamic program because we have dynamic worship because we have the best best teaching on the block because we absolutely just we look so holy no he said by this shall all men know you're my disciples simply by this that you have love one for another there's one thing that we see throughout the new testament church and it's made very clear that the church is supposed to be known for its love Jesus said, it's our love for one another is the very thing that will attract the world. But honestly, right now, and I don't mean this critical, I can't think of a single church that I know of that they're, that they're known for love. Now, there may be some church that, you know, they're loving churches, but that's not what they're known for. I can think of a lot of churches that are known for great music, great programs, uh, great speaking, great preaching, whatever it might be. But Jesus said that, the true church, my people, my disciples should be first and foremost known by their supernatural love one for another. Because I got to be honest with you, if you think this is done because we are just going to make up one day and love one another because, oh, we just got this uh, love and feeling. Whoa, whoa, that loving feeling. I don't think so. This is only done by the spirit. So before you get all worked up today and go, wow, I don't know if I can do all this. You're right. You can't. He's got to do it. But if we're truly connected with him, as the Bible says, if I'm the branch and he's the vine and the branch is connected to the vine, what's going to happen? What's in the vine is going to flow through the branch. And what is God? John says, God is love. So if I'm connected to the author of love, if I'm connected to love itself, then love should flow through me. Now go back to my opening statement. You can't get that in a one-hour commitment. When the, one, when, when the phrase one another is mentioned over 100 times, we're going to get to this again in the end, 
But when the phrase one another is mentioned over 100 times, I don't have my whiteboard today. It's right over here to my side. But if I could write it big, 100, over 100 times in the New Testament, things like love one another, care for one another, uh, pray for one another, encourage one another. Why is it that we can't think of a single church? At least I can't. Maybe you can. But I can't think of a single church who is known for the way that they care for one another. Now, again, I think in some ways we've done a good job at loving. We've done a good job at caring. But I don't believe if someone walked in our midst, they would see care and love on a supernatural scale. Because even to the degree we have tried over the last couple of years, especially to become a place of love and caring, there's still something yet to be released in us. Now, here's the question. God clearly cares about this. In fact, he drives it home so many times in the Gospels, it's carried again. 100 times the word one another is used in the New Testament. God cares about this. So the question is, why don't we? Now, we're passionate about music, worship. We're passionate about teaching. We're passionate about being fed. We're passionate about ministry. We're passionate about giftings. We're passionate about about uh, all these things that really, in a lot of ways, kind of circle back to us. But what if we became passionate for the one another mentality? What would happen? Are we supposed to be content to uh, just love people better than the church down the street? And I'm not saying we should compare, but meaning, or we should be content to go, well, we're, we love better than they do. We love better than that play. We'll, well, we're okay because we're definitely look. You see, that's, the, that's sometimes the danger in comparing, you're comparing yourself with others is because the only true comparison we have is the biblical definition of love, the biblical definition of one another. Because if we want to compare to other churches, we might feel good about ourselves, but let's compare where we are and what we're supposed to be doing with the word of God. And when we do that, can we truly say we're fulfilling what the word of God expects of us? I wouldn't even say asks of it. It's an, ex it's an expectation. By this shall all men know you're my disciples. That doesn't sound like a suggestion. That doesn't sound like, well, if you get around to it, you know, I would like for you guys to start loving one another. And you know good and well, some of those disciples did not like Peter. Let's just be frank. Come on, let's be. I guarantee you, Peter got on John's last nerve. John seems to be a very laid back he seems to be a very loving, soft-spoken. I'm sure John had his moments, but I mean, come on, John was a tender-hearted. He was a he was a man of great feeling, great passion. He was known as the beloved. I mean, he was so intimate with Jesus. He laid his hand on his chest. I mean, John had this thing going on. And then you got Peter over there. He's loud. He's obnoxious. I mean, he's always saying something stupid just dumb. He's always putting his foot in his mouth. And then on top of that, when Jesus needed him the most, what is old Peter doing? He's denying. And John is the guy that literally just, he oozes affection towards Jesus Christ. And you got Peter over there that's just, he's just one mess up after another. I guarantee you, those dudes struggled naturally. You can't tell me that those guys did not have some, some things that kind of butted up against each other. So Jesus wasn't just saying something as a cliche. I believe it was something he had observed within his own 12 disciples. And that's why he was speaking to them with such a, 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 a straight. This wasn't just some word spoken to all the world to the end of time. He was speaking first and foremost to the 12 sitting in front of them because these guys were all young men they all had egos. They all had stuff they had to work through. They came from a little different backgrounds. They had different personality. And he said, listen, John 13, 34, as I loved you, don't forget, you would not be here but for me. You should love one another. 
So think about it. Here they are sitting. Now get this picture for a moment. This is challenging. It should be challenging. But you're sitting there listening to the words of Jesus Christ. The one you have followed. The one you have given your life to. And he's telling you, as I've loved you, love one another. And you know that he's already told you that he's come to this earth to give up his life so that others could live. And he's asking you to love others with that same love. Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for a friend. We love that verse because it talks about Jesus Christ. Well, I love that because Jesus, but he says, as I love, love one another. What would happen? And I'm not here, okay? So please don't act. I'm not coming from up here looking down at you. I'm, 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 I'm being challenged with this same thing here. But what would happen if you looked at your brothers and sisters in Christ with the same love that Christ has for them and has for you? I'm, I'm skipping ahead, but I'll, 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 it's good to say it twice. It's amazing how quickly we want God to forgive us for our monumental mistakes, but yet we are so slow to forgive our brother and our sister for their slight ones. God, forgive me for my, and you fill in the blanks. But if my brother or sister doesn't shake my hand or gives me a look or, or God forbid, doesn't comment on my Facebook post or, or, or doesn't text me on my birthday, that's it. I give up. I quit. I'm done. I can't stand this. Really? That's what the Bible described? By this shall all men know you're my disciples that you love one for another except for these certain occasions. No birthday texts. No handshakes, dirty looks. You know, I've often said you don't really know if you love somebody until you have a reason not to love them. Your, your love's not tested. What did Jesus, what does the Bible say? While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. His greatest expression of love was not that he loved us when we were cleaned up and pristine and covered by the blood. His greatest expression of love to you and I was the fact that he loved us even when we were sinners. He died for us. It's amazing to me that he's asking I don't know if I've ever looked at a fellow brother or sister with the same sacrificial, selfless love as Christ looks at me. I don't think I've ever done that. And here Jesus is clearly saying that's the way it should be. Now I know what you're saying intellectually. I get the argument in your flesh. I don't. I don't know if I can do that. I just. I just don't think. I. I just don't think I have that in me. You're right. It's not done by you. We're gonna get to in a minute how we do this. But it's not done by us. We can't do this. But just because we can't do it does not mean it's not expected. God has already provided a way for this to happen, but it's not going to become it's not going to come through programs. It's not going to come through some kind of intellectual pursuit. It's not going to come because we come in a big room and we shake one hand. And I got to be frank with you, it's not going to come because we all come around, we hold hands and we pray for 10 minutes and call that a prayer meeting. This is going to come from a dedication of a group of people who are sold out to Jesus Christ, who are allowing the Spirit of God to have full reign and control in their life, and who understand the grace and mercy of God. If, I, if it wasn't for the grace and mercy of God, I would not be here. So I want to love with the same love that I've been given. I want you to do something for me just a second. Maybe it's the person next to you. Maybe it's the person in your small group. Maybe it's the person that you sit near on Sundays. But I want you to do for me for a second. I want you to picture their face. Close your eyes for a moment. Picture their face. Get their face in, in, your, in your mind. And I'm going to ask you to do this. Open your eyes for just a second. A non-family member. Let's do that. Because, you know, you might be sitting next to your wife, your husband. 
you know, your, your child, whatever it is, aunt, uncle, you might close your eyes. It, it's not, but I want you to picture somebody in your mind that's a non-family member that's a part of Antioch West. So get them in your mind, close your eyes. Now, think about for just a moment the links to which Jesus went to bring those specific faces, those people to himself. I want you to think about that. Think about the whippings he endured so that they could be forgiven. Imagine the way he thought about each one of those individuals you're thinking about as he hung there and endured the cross. No sacrifice was too great. There was nothing that he would hold back. He did everything necessary to redeem and heal and transform those people that you're thinking about right now. And what's even greater, you can open your eyes for those of you that participated. The thing about it that is he did the same for you and me. He endured. He went to that whipping post. Plowed field. Nails in his hands. Nails in his feet. Crown of thorns on his head. Great strep and great drops of blood for you and me. Sorry, it's so hard to think about that and not just stop for a moment and lift up hands and say, God, I'm so beyond grateful today for what you have done, that your incredible grace and mercy. What's amazing to that is, is that his grace and his mercy, his blood continues today. So I want you to ask yourself, who does God want you to pursue? Jesus went to the ultimate extent for those people. Why would you hold anything back? Hmm. If you just pictured those people in your mind and you connected the dots between those people you thought about and the the, the, the great extent that Jesus went to for them and then for you and I. Who are we to hold anything back? See? We're getting at some roots of a problem here. Really, it comes back down to just us. It's us. It really comes back to you and I. Jesus pursued the people that you were thinking about. Jesus pursued them from heaven to earth to bring them into his family. But it's amazing how many barriers we have put up to keep those same people out of our family. It's amazing that we only like the people that are like us, to get along with us, to have the same interests as us. But what's supposed to be about the church is it's supposed to have a supernatural love that extends beyond what is just accepted. The Bible says it. We're going to read it here. So I get to it here. Uh, a little further down in my notes here, but I'll, 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 it's worth double reading. The Bible says even the world knows how to love. I mean, I've been on some teams where, man, we we were we we sacrificed for one another. We gave up, we blood, we had, we shed blood, sweat, and tears, man, to get this to win. And when we all won that that final game, that championship, and we held that trophy, man, you could feel the love, brother. I mean, we loved one another. We were hugging and high fiving. It felt great. That's not what I'm talking about. That's how man loves. We love because we were all together. Because you know what's funny? Is the same guys you love when you're winning is the same guys you want to kick to the curb when you're losing. You see, that's the problem with man's definition of love. And I can already tell I'm just going to let Jesus have it. This is going to be a two-parter. So we're not going to even get to the second part today. We're just going to keep letting the Lord speak to us today. See, that's man's definition of love. Man's definition of love is circumstantial. 
man's definition of love is, is I love you as long as I can, we, we can find a commonality of circumstances or commonality of ground. But what did Jesus know for? He was a know for. That man loves sinners. He didn't hang out with the people that were like him. He found the people that weren't like him. He hung out with those who didn't help his reputation. His love extended past. You know what? I'll say it this way. My wife uses this saying, so I'm going to steal her thunder for a moment. Kate, I love you. Please forgive me for stealing your thunder. My wife says this a lot. Sometimes you got to look wrong to be right. Or many times Jesus looked wrong to be right. Now, before you get all excited and go, ooh, that's like, I'm going to do everything I want to do right now because it looks wrong. I must, no, no, time out. No, no, that's not a license to go, go crazy. No, don't be going to the club and going, I'm looking wrong so I can be right. And ain't Jesus, brother, sit down. But Jesus had to look wrong to be right because love compelled him to do so love pulled him to do this and it was love for people that were like him i mean come on he sat around a table with a bunch of tax collectors despised men hated what did that love did i recently heard a story from a friend of mine who was actually one of the pastors in his church. One of the pastors in his church felt just compelled by God to go love on people that were not like him. And so he decided to go start hanging out at the local tattoo shop. Now, before you get all ruffled up in your spiritual, ooh, you get your spiritual... You know, feathers all ruffled. Oh my God, how can you walk into a dentist's hand like that? Huh. You, you, you need to go read this book. It's an amazing book. It's called Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. They're called the Gospels. Because <laughs> there's a fellow in there, by the way, kind of a main character. His name is Jesus. Um, he did a lot of the same stuff. So before you get all worked up, oh, you can, oh, I would, I would have to go. Rinse my hands of the filth. Okay, you Pharisee, go ahead and do that while I'm sitting over here with some tax collectors changing the world. Sorry, that's not Jesus. That was Joel. Father, forgive me. Back on point. So he told me the story that his pastor felt compelled. He went and started hanging down at the local tattoo shop. He wasn't getting a tattoo. He didn't, he didn't, he didn't, it wasn't the point of going down there. He just wanted to go hang out with people that weren't like him to show the love of Christ. He would hang out there. On a weekly basis. They would ask him, you want a tattoo? No, what are you doing? I'm just hanging out. I just want to get to know you guys. He started befriending some of the tattoo artists. He'd chat with them, get to know their family, talk about their lives. And then as he did, they began to share the love of Jesus Christ. And he, my friend told me that, that two of those tattoo artists were saved from that tattoo shop because somebody was willing to go love somebody that wasn't like them. Now, before you get all excited, Jesus didn't become a tax collector to love the tax collector. So, you know, like I said, you know, don't get all excited. If you're looking for a carnality loophole, you can go, okay, well, man, I'm going to start loving everybody. I mean, I'm loving the club. I mean, come on, let's go, whoop, whoop, Jesus loves you. Let's go get it down. That's not what this is about. Jesus did not become a tax collector to love a tax collector. That's what the problem is right now is we, we think love is, is, is equal to approval. Never one time did Jesus approve of a tax collector. He loved them. I don't have to approve of you to love you. In fact, that's the great thing about love. Love is... It's not the same as approval. Because let's be frank. <laughs> oh, I love this. If love is approval, and love is, and we have to approve of someone to love them, which is now our world's definition of love. 
is that in order to love someone, you have to approve of them. Right? And if you don't approve of them, then therefore you don't love them. If that is the case, then God's love is a falsehood. It's a fraud. The love of God is a fraud because the Bible says while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Meaning, he, what pulled, what sent him to the cross? Well, he just said he died for us. Uh, no, John 3, 16. Greater love. Right? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. It was love that put him on the cross. It was love that kept him on the cross. While we were yet sinners, he died for us. Meaning, he, while we were yet sinners, he loved us. Now, can you be honest with you? Do you think Jesus Christ approves of sin? The Bible says no flesh will glory in his presence. That sin separates us from God. That's, a, that's the easiest study you can do in the Bible. Sin separates. God does not approve of sin, but yet he loved us despite of our sin. So right there shows that God did not approve of us, but loved us. I don't have to approve of you to love you. I don't have to agree with your lifestyle to love you. I don't have to approve of who you are to love you. I can love you. That's what the church has got to understand. And that's what happens. We've had, there's been churches that have desired to love, but they think love requires approval. Now I will say to you, I don't believe it's the church's job to be the policeman. I don't believe it's the church's job to be the jury. We're supposed to love with the love of Christ and let the love of Christ change and transform, not the church and its edicts and its legalism. It's, God's love that changes. But approval is not equal to love. Because if it's if, the, if you think, well, you know, if you don't approve of me, you don't love me. If that's the case, then you've got to say God doesn't love you. Because I can't be frank with you. There's a lot of things he doesn't approve of in my life. Joe, you got that little voice, that little prick. No, that wasn't. That was wrong, son. Lord, forgive me. Forgive me for that. Did he approve of that? No, he didn't. Did he stop loving me? No. I don't approve of everything my kids do. My goodness. I don't approve of their action. I don't approve of their attitude a lot of times. But I love them. I don't know how I got on this subject. Man, we're all over the place. I told you I'd lose notes, but God just has another way. So before you get into this whole thing, well, if I love me, I'd approve of them. I don't approve what they do. No, 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 no. That's the point. That's the beauty of God's love. It's God's love. It's not based on approval. Man's love is based on approval. You can eat harmony this thing all you want. But I'm sorry, honey. You fill out the little questionnaire and you put all your likes and dislikes and they match you up with your perfect mate. Guess what? Humans are humans. Somewhere deep down inside that other perfect e-harmony match is going to be some things that you're not going to approve of. So I'm sorry to break it to you. E-harmony is not your pathway to a blissful marriage. I don't care how many statistics they tout of how many marriages that have come out. I want to know not just how many unions they've brought together, but how many true marriages are there because it's not about are we compatible my life I say this my wife is one of the greatest examples of love because man have I done stuff that put that love to the test be one thing if she loved me and I never did one thing to ever test that love. Wouldn't mean she loved me any less, but there's a greater way to show that love is when, man, I put the love to the test. I put God's love to the test. Man, I, am, I, I, have, I have had some royal mess ups, man. I believe if you're going to mess up, you're going to, you, you just, you, you just, you know, I mean, I mean, apparently, I guess in my world, you just, you don't just try, you mean, it's like, sometimes it's, let's see how big of an explosion I can make. I wish I could tell you that was a joke. But in all that, God's love. Now watch this. Let's get back to scripture here. 1 John 4, 
says this, Beloved, let us love one another. For love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoa. Oh. We're going to slow down again. We're going to read this nice and slow. Because this is some serious, challenging meat here that's being given to us. Beloved, let us love one another. Now, you don't talk about God's love first. It's our love for one another comes first. Watch this. Beloved, let us love one another. Why? For love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoa. Whoa. Forgive me for saying this. I'm about to, I'm, I'm, I'm going to step on someone's toes and I probably shouldn't say it, but I'm saying it anyways. That means it's not my holiness that determines if I know God. It's my love. I, I don't have a microphone to drop here. I could drop my microphone, but it's going to make a big boom. Does that not mess with some of us? Well, I know God because look at me. I'm so holy. I don't drink. I don't cuss. I don't chew. And I don't hang out with those who do. Holy. How do you know? How do you know God? Because I have, look, I have gone. You know, it's like the guy who prayed. One guy's over there beating on his chest. Oh, God, have mercy on me. And the other guy looks over and says, oh, God, I thank you that I'm not like this fella. <laughs> Jesus, man, he tore that to pieces. He said, whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Man, sometimes you just got to read scripture and let scripture just do the talking. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. In this love of God was, in this, the love of God was made manifest among us that he sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be a perpetuation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought to love one another. Oh, there it is. Checkmate. No one has ever seen God. Huh. I love God. Yeah, but have you seen God? Nope. Well, then how do I know if I can love God who I haven't seen? What's the test? Right there. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. That word perfect is not like perfect. It's complete. So you know what? I got to be honest with you. How many, by a show of hands, say, well, I don't really feel the love of God. I don't know if God, I don't really know right now. Do I, do I feel the love of God? Here's the problem. According to John, you can't really truly feel the love of God until you really know how to love one another. Oh, Ooh, I'm about to get up and run around my table here in a minute. Now, if that doesn't challenge you, but not just challenge you, but spark something in you. I want to love with that kind of love. I want to love one another. Because if I can love one another, the Bible says Christ's love is made perfect, complete in me because of my love. But if I don't love one another, I don't really like... You know what kind of people they have in my small group? You know what kind? I don't really like this small group. I need to go to another small group. This small group just doesn't fit my personality. It may not fit your personality, but does it fit God's love? Because maybe God puts you in that, not to teach you how to be compatible, but maybe God puts you there to teach you how to love. Because if you only love based off compatibility, the Bible says the world knows how to do that. But my love is supposed to be supernatural, which means you're supposed to love somebody that's not like you. You're supposed to love somebody that gets on your nerves. John, you're supposed to love a Peter that you can't stand. But by the love you have for Peter, all men are going to know you're my disciple. I'm just going to read it one more time. I know I've been going for a while, but when, it's just too good, folks. I can't pass it up. I got to do it again. Beloved, let us love one another for God is love. Whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God. I mean, these are not rhetorical statements. These are definitive statements because God is love. In this love, God was made manifest among us that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be a perpetuation for our sins. 
Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. And if Paul, see, John kind of said that suggestively, but in case you thought it was suggestion, he came back down and just dropped the hammer. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is complete in us. So what is the test of whether God abides in me and his love is complete in me is my love for one another. Now, we say we believe the Bible, but I don't believe we live like we believe these statements are true. I think we live as if these are suggestive. And what's crazy about this, this is not a light warning. This is not a, can you, let me ask you this. Can you go to heaven and not know Jesus? I'll give you a Jeopardy minute to think there for a second. Get your answer ready. What is no, Alex? Correct. You cannot go to heaven if you don't know God. So how do you know if you truly know him because you've never seen him? So God puts tests in our life. He puts things in our life to show if we really are know him. And one of the tests, John says, is our love for one another. So how can you say you love God, but yet you constantly are getting offended with one another? You know what the Bible says? One of the things that's going to be a sign of the last days. We talk about, you know, oh man, uh, there's going to be wars and pestilence. COVID's coming. That's a sign of the last days. And oh, Russia's invading Ukraine. It's the end of the world. Oh, have you seen the economy lately? It's all coming crashing. Global warming. The world is coming to an end. You know what the Bible says? One of the clearest signs of the end time age is people will be easily offended. Huh. If that doesn't describe our world, and it doesn't describe, unfortunately, sadly, it doesn't describe the current state of the church. I don't think I've ever been in a time where every single thing you say, you've lit. I, I mean, seriously, I, I'm in a pickle here because, you know, for the last two years, especially, and it's been going on for 10 years, but especially in intensity, the last few years, everything I do is recorded and put online for everybody. And especially now, like something like this, where it's live, where, you know, uh, you know, there's no back button. There's no, I don't have a, a mute button. I guess I could. But I mean, I mean, I'm not smart enough to know I'm about to say something stupid to hit that button. To, I just so everything I say is out there for God and everybody. And I gotta be frank with you, if I if I let myself, the stress that comes with that is immense because you never know what you're gonna say to offend somebody. And I know there's a lot of terms we used to use that should never be used anymore. I get it. I'm all for that. There's terms that were hurtful, derogatory, we shouldn't use. I get all that. I'm not suggesting we we should just let our mouths go. But I gotta be honest with you. It's amazing the epidemic. You want to talk about an epidemic? Oh, COVID. No, COVID. I mean, come on. We got a vaccine for COVID. We've got we've got things that are are, are 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 supposed to help with COVID. What's the vaccine for offense? Because whatever that is, we all need to go get it today. That's what we need. We don't need a vaccine for COVID. You go ahead. I know some of you got the vaccine. Others of you will never take it. That's fine. That's your prerogative. But I'm telling you right now, we need a vaccine against offense because it's an epidemic. And you know what? COVID may affect your body and can kill you. But you know what? Offense can destroy your soul and send you to hell. Which one do you think is more important? But he said in the last days, people are going to be offended. Why? Why is there so much offense? Because you know what? We don't really truly know how to love. And we don't really know how to love because we really don't really truly have, the, have God living in us. We've got religion, but we don't have a relationship. We have commitment, but we don't have connection. Meaning we're committed to church, but we're not connected to Christ. And this warning is so strong here. But if we go further, the importance of loving one another is emphasized all throughout Scripture. I mean, you go read it. Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 13, 1 Peter 4, 
on and on. And what's amazing is you can't read all that without going, man, we're missing something extraordinary because of our lack of love. There's something that is supposed to be absolutely revolutionary that happens because of our love. And this is one of the things. Jesus is approaching his cr the cross towards the end of the Gospel of John. He's approaching his final days. And he prays what is absolutely a fascinating prayer. He prays for his disciples. And some of the statements he made should challenge our faith and really shows the power of what we've been talking about. This is what he says in John chapter 17, verse 20. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. Meaning, he's not just praying for the disciples, he's praying for you and I. He said, for those who are gonna, who are gonna believe in me because of their word. Well, what is their words? Um, acts through revelation are the words of the apostles. So he said, I don't ask only for these, I ask for those who will believe in me through their word. That they may all be one just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one even as we are one, I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as I love, as you loved me. Wow, what a statement. What a powerful uh, 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 admission by Jesus Christ as he's about to approach the cross that he prays for you and me that we would become so uni unified in love one for another and we become so unified even as he and the Father were one for this purpose. And this is what he said, so that the world may know that you sent me. And love them even as you loved me. What? What? Can you imagine that? Supernatural love and unity could result in the world believing that Jesus Christ is the Messiah. Do you know that the way we love one another could result in the world believing that Jesus Christ is who he says he is. If you don't think that's the case, then I challenge you with a statement from Gandhi who spent time studying Christianity. And these were the words of Gandhi. He says this, I like your Christ, but I don't like your Christians. Your Christians are so unlike your Christ. Wow. I mean, you can't, you, you can't make a statement any more powerful than that. I like your Christ, but I don't like your Christians because your Christians are nothing like your Christ. Is that the way it's supposed to be? There's an epidemic of people leaving the church. Why? There's no perfect church, I will say. I, this is, we're not a perfect church, far from it. You can have a perfect church with imperfect people. But there's an epidemic of people leaving the church. Why? Because the church is not seen as a place of love. It's seen as a place of backbiting, nitpicking, judgment. <sighs> Come on, let's be honest with you. I'm, I'm trying to finish. I'm, I'm, I'm not going to even get close to... This is the end for today. We'll go to part two next next time. Part two is powerful. It's awesome, exciting, and it really challenges even this further, but we're going to get to it. People are leaving the church. People don't want to be in church. Why? Because why? Church is judgy. Church people don't forgive easily. Church people don't have don't show grace, don't show mercy. Church people have a tendency to be backbiting, gossipers, slanderers. Which somehow we have come to 
believe that's okay with God. You know, we can tear down our brother, tear down our sister. But as long as we have our part buttoned up, it's okay with God. But yet we've just read that all that is a big bag of wind because you don't love one another. What would happen to the hurting, to the broken, if we truly became passionate? Not just about Jesus. Yeah, we need to be passionate about him. But what if we had that same passion for one another? What about it? You see, that's why the Bible is so beautiful when it says love hides, covers sin. What if trying to expose our brother, we covered our brother? What if instead of trying to rat him out, covered him? Well, have you seen so-and-so? Have you seen what they're doing? How's the weather today? Hey, let's talk about something else. Let's not talk about our brother right now. Whatever he's going through, let's just pray that God would help him through that. Instead of, hey, have you seen so-and-so? Oh my goodness, I was on Facebook the other day. You won't believe what they posted. I cannot believe they posted that on Facebook. That is just terrible. I can't believe that. It's terrible. Oh my goodness. They're, I, I, don't, I, they don't, I can't believe I go to the same church as they do. Really? Come on, man. Get off Facebook. Get on your knees and say, God, help me and help my brother. Help my sister. The Bible says pray for one another. Not post on one another. Not slander one another. Not judge one another. Not go against one another. Not thumbs down. How about this one? Well, they didn't, I don't like what they did, so I'm going to unfollow them. I'm going to unfriend them. Are you kidding me? That's what we've gotten to today. Now, if I unfriend you, unfollow you, because ultimately, it's not, it, 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 there, there's, there's, a, there's some other reasons. I'm not suggesting you can't unfriend, unfollow somebody. But come on, now we've used that as sort of a petty kindergarten thing. I'm just going to unfriend them, unfollow them. Really? Come on, man. That's, is that really what God, when, when, when God breathed, Timothy says that all scripture is God breathed. When God breathed into the words of John, do you think that's what God had in mind? He says, if you want to abide me and my love be fervent, you got to love one another. What would happen, Antioch West, if we became passionate about loving one another? You see, if you want to slip in when it starts and slip out right before it ends, I'm going to tell you right now, and you can argue with me all you want. I'm not arguing with you. I'm just giving you word, scripture. If that's your attitude, I don't believe you're saved. How can you say that? You're judging. I'm not. Let me ask you this. If you quarantine your life and you only in it for what you get out of it and you never show any love for your brother or your sister, love one for another through forgiveness, through prayer, all the things of one another, all the stuff to one another. We're going to get to that next time. We're going to go through every one another and show you everything that's a one another command. If you're not doing those things according to what we read in John, it's very simple. God doesn't abide in you. How can you say you know God if, his, if you don't love one another? I mean, you can't get any clearer to that than that. It can't get any clearer than that, my friend. So this is not something to just take lightly. God doesn't just throw this in there suggestively. He takes this seriously. He's looking for a church that will become passionate about each other. Because you know what? I wonder what if our passion for one another was equal to or a barometer for our passion for Christ. Because don't tell me how passionate you are for Jesus and don't have passion for those who are in the family of Christ. Now we're going to talk about next week, and we got a little bit of gap. Next Sunday, we're going to talk about what it takes to get into the family. How do you get into the family of Christ? What is the, what is the qualifications for being in a family? But when we come back next time, Two weeks from now, we're going to continue this thought because there's more to this that God's challenging us. So you know what? Small groups, big groups, little groups, whatever. It doesn't matter what the mechanism is, my friend. If we don't have this, we've done nothing. So I don't know if I want to go to small group today. 
I don't know if I feel like going today. You know, I just, people get on my nerves. No, according to what we just read, it should be, you know what? I want to go because I want to, I want to get an opportunity to love on somebody. I want to get an opportunity to love somebody today because I, because he's loved me so much. I want to love somebody. What if that person today in small group, if you became so passionate about them, like Christ was passionate for you, what would happen? I'm telling you what, you're talking about healing, miracles, deliverance. We would have people flocking to be a part of something so supernatural. But yet we want to talk about God. We want to talk about salvation. But you know what? I like your Christ, but I don't like your Christians because your Christians look nothing like your Christ. Oh, folks, we've got to get this. This is not an option. God doesn't take this lightly. We've got to get to the heart of the matter. And let's let the love of Jesus Christ flow in us and through us supernaturally through love one for another. In Jesus' name.